Welcome to another fantastimagological, brilliantly, amazingly wonderful episode of the One Year No Beer podcast. How come I get to describe it like that? Why don't you tell me what you think of the episode? Send us an email, info at oneyearnobeer.com, and tell me what you think of the podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for listening. Okay, so today I am joined by me. Yes. We produced a bit of a webinar, and that webinar was to help people understand where our thinking is going behind these 12 core drivers of behavior and what you can do about it, okay? And when we first put out the the webinar, it got huge response. Lots of wonderful people um, said it really, really helped them, and so we decided to put it out onto the podcast for all of you to listen. I hope you enjoy this episode. I would highly recommend grabbing a pen and paper. I would highly recommend being somewhere you can take a note or think about it. I hope I make you think about some things in your life, wherever you are in your journey. These are some of the core things to really consider, especially if alcohol is showing up for you. But if any compulsive behavior is showing up for you, then these are the things that we need to look at. Okay, Um, my voice is gonna change because this is recorded differently from the other one. Okay, let's jump into some of the science. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for joining. If you are joining live, if you're watching the recording, thank you for watching the recording. Yeah, it's been a whole year since we launched Complete Control. And so in celebration of that, what we wanted to do is really give everyone some insights into the learnings that we have made over this last eight years of running OYMB, um, and uh, yeah, try and help as many people as possible on this wonderful journey. And I think in line with that, where we should start is this idea of progress and moving forwards and how different this is to an awful lot of what is out there. Without further ado, welcome. And um, let's start with this big question. What is progress? Well, progress just like this wonderful journey that we are all on, is a journey. Uh, It's a journey. It's a journey of self-discovery. It's a journey of self-development. It's a journey of trying to understand all of these things and these factors about ourselves, our past, our present, our existence on the planet, and why this thing, alcohol, or any other thing, insert behavior, shows up. And I think the wonderful thing about looking at it as a journey, a journey of discovery, is that as long as you're moving forward, it's progress, right? And it's a much more positive way to look at it. I think often when people set out on the journey, um, they maybe think, right, that's it. I'm going to take a break from alcohol. Or, you know, I'm going to do dry January. Or I'm going to stop drinking for 60 days. Whatever that idea is. And I think people get confused right? They think it's a straight line. I'm just going to get there and great and everything's going to be done and then I'll be happy because I've won. That is not what it's like. (laughs) Um, Just like running or setting up your own business or finding a new hobby or anything, any big challenge is the reality is it's full of bumps and turns. I mean, look at this poor guy on his bicycle. Imagine how much that hurts when he gets down to the bottom and all those rocks are there, right? That's going to be painful. There's blood, there's tears. Ow. That didn't work. Let's try again up to the next little hill. So if we understand that this journey is like that, then why would there be any 
blame or why would there be any downfall? Why would there be any negativity? Because it's just part of the process. It's just part of the journey. And we've just got to go through these things and understanding, even in the moment, that these are part of the journey. I think when you look at what is traditionally out there, and certainly this is starting to move on, it's all a bit black and white. And I think there's a lot of issues with this and something that we need to change in society. I think even society now is used to it, right? You're either abstinent or you're drinking. There's no in-between. Um, it's black and white. You have a problem drinking or you need to be abstinent and this is the way it's going to be forever. When actually, that's not true. There's a whole cycle or circle inside here trying to understand. There's a grey area in between all of these things where maybe you drink a bit and maybe you don't and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't but not just so absolutely clear. So, I think this is where a lot of people get stuck. I can't imagine right now how many people are in this loop. And it says the cycle of addiction, so many people will say, well, I'm not an addict, that's not me, I could stop if I want, and that's okay. But the truth is, if you look at the definition of addiction, it will say a behavior that you repeatedly do even though you know it hurts you. That's the definition. So if that is the definition, we all have addiction, and we do, it's a sliding scale. The truth is, this society we live in today, addiction is rife, and it's getting more and more and more. The things are getting more addictive, and the need, the desire to numb out is getting greater and greater. And so we have to counteract that. But if you look at this cycle, right? Drinking too much. Oh, I'm drinking too much. I'm full of blame, shame, guilt, what's wrong with me? I try to stop. Okay, I'm going to take a challenge. Using white knuckle, I'm going to get myself through this. And I see this all the time. Successful people, entrepreneurs, people, they can, of course, apply huge amounts of self-discipline, self-worth, and things like that that they have in bucket loads to this idea of stopping drinking. So, of course, they can go through a period of stopping. No problem. They can apply those tools, which is in that element of white knuckling it. They feel good. They get some change. This is what happened for me. And the next minute they slip up or reset in the big bad world out there, they might call it relapse. And that comes again with this blame, shame, guilt, drinking too much, try to stop, loop, loop, loop. One of the biggest issues here is that people get caught in this loop and they say, oh, I'm a serial resetter, or I always slip up, or I'm an all or nothing person back to that black and white thing. And these things that you say to yourself, wait, stop. Do you know how the brain works? If you understand that the things you say to yourself, your beliefs are what create you, why are you making that belief that you're a serial resetter? Stop right now. We need to stop this cycle of addiction. And what we have to do is change. Change some elements. So many people are searching for more willpower. So many people are like, and in our community, I see it being said daily, daily, all the time. Get yourself back up. Try again. Try again. Okay, I'm going to try again. I'm going to get that white knuckling. The truth is, if we really want to help people, if we want to help people in the community, if we want to help people in the world, we need to get them to stop looking for more willpower. And what we need to do is give them some tools. I would like to propose that we remove this day one ever again. You only ever have day one once. Day one is the first decision to change your relationship with alcohol. Remember back to the journey here. Day one is down here. 
If you look at it, some of that journey, actually, after day one, it feels like it gets worse. Look at where those rocks are at the bottom, right? And then almost in that pool of water there, a little bit further along, you're lower than where you were at the start, right? And so this is what we need to understand is that, yes, you might have another streak, but you never go back to day one because you are on a journey and on a journey of self-discovery and every foot forward is progress. And it's so much more encouraging that. It doesn't matter. If you slip up, if you reset, okay, I learned a way not to do it. Let's imagine Thomas Edison trying to create the light bulb. How many times did he try? Thousands of times. And what did he say? I've just found another thousandth time how not to make a light bulb. And you, just in your slip up, in your reset, I've just found another way not to do it. So that is one of the things. We never go back to day one. The real thing we need to encourage people for are just four key things. These are the, the tools that mean that you require less willpower. And if you feel like you're using willpower, then you need more of these things. This is like the, the solution to feeling like you need more willpower. Accountability. So key. We really struggle to be accountability to ourselves. Support. We need to talk about things. We need some encouragement. We need to know that we're doing well. We need to understand what's going on for us. Education. We need to understand more about the substance, the reason why we're using it, what other people are like, why we're behaving in that way, what other solutions there are out there. And so really trying to educate yourself, reading the quitlet, learning the books, understanding what's going on from a science perspective, your own behavior perspective, this is the education part. And then connection. This is super simple. If your society around you is, is um, all heavily drinking, it's gonna, you're going to struggle. And so you need to feel that sense of connection with people who are living how you want to live. And this is really key. These are the four things. You can find these in so many places. You don't have to find them with One Year No Beer. Of course, I think we're the experts at it. Of course, I think we deliver the best possible tools, but you can find this in spades out there in the world yourself. So go in search of these, not of willpower, and you will find success more rapidly than you would figuring it out on your own and using willpower. So everything here, and I think more specifically what we designed with Complete Control is based on this simple thing which perhaps in some other programs is almost the opposite. And that is that you are powerful. You are entirely powerful. You can change your life. You can change your brain. You can change your environment, your circumstances. You can change who you are. You can change everything. And so that means you have the power to change your situation. And as long as that is the case, then you can put yourself into a place where you are not compelled to drink alcohol, where you are do not need alcohol, where you can effectively take it or leave it. Now, you might choose to leave it forever or good. That's amazing. What a great place. But let's be agnostic about it. Let's not be leaving it and still holding yourself with white knuckling. No, let's release people from the power of it. Right? This is what I firmly believe we can help people do. So how do we do that? Well, let's talk about what actually drives compulsive behavior. Um, and rather interestingly, as we designed this, originally it was slightly less. And I was like, no, we're missing a couple of core factors as we came up with this model. And it was like, okay, 12 core factors. And again, I think that re resonates with another program out there in the world that 
These are the 12 core factors that drive compulsive behavior. And that when you understand these, but more importantly, you understand where you are with those, you will have some clarity on what is driving this behavior in the first place, the need to numb out, the want to go past one or two. And it's relevant whether you were talking about alcohol or sugar or caffeine or porn or gambling or social media or work, the most acceptable addiction there is out there. So let's move on. What drives compulsive behavior? Number one, I've used the word ego here um, because there's some really interesting science here that when I use the big T word, people run out the room and go, I don't have any of that. I'm going to explain a little concept to you. So during the years of between zero and seven, you don't have a conscious. You only have a subconscious as it's forming. And at that time, we're incredibly perceptible to what is going on around the world. And what happens is, as a child is that we perceive some moments that we don't understand. They become shocking. And in that shocking moment that we didn't understand, be it a foul word said or a scary event when we're younger or something we perceived or ongoing abuse or whatever it is for you, you made a decision about yourself. And this started to form the early sense of your ego. What we use in reality is what we're talking about is trauma. And a lot of people say, well, I don't have any trauma. I had a great upbringing. Unfortunately, I hear what you're saying, and that's amazing for you. But actually, childhood is traumatic. And so we all have trauma. We all have these things that have formed our ego that run around in our head like patterns all the time. The thing that you discover is that we actually run on autopilot almost every day, how we interact on our relationships, how we interact in our businesses, in our careers, are based on our ego. And our ego is based on the things that happen to us, most likely. Of course, there are sub subsequent events that can affect that. But these events that happen between zero and seven. When I discovered this and found it out for myself, I was so utterly gobsmacked and shocked. I found some simple memories through the help of support and coaching that I understood were running around and creating patterns every day and how I built a business and how I showed up. And you know what was even more powerful? Is that once I found out what those were, I could choose to act differently. And that is what's so powerful about this. It's not about going home to great big amounts of healing of all of this trauma. Yes, that's another element of work. It's about becoming aware. And when you become aware, you can consciously choose a different path. It's so powerful. So much of this drives our compulsive behavior. A huge proportion of our desire to numb out comes from these past experiences. And this is why my encouragement to all of you is do the work, right? These 12 are the work for sure, but this is such a core one. And there's magic to be found here. There's gold dust to be found in digging back here. Let's pause just for a brief moment. I just want to share with you some of the heartfelt feedback from our incredible Complete Control community members. Listen to this. I, I don't know how I signed up. I think I just got an ad on Instagram and just got a whim, just hit the button and did a call and then signed up and didn't really consciously think much about it. And then after that, I was like, what did I just sign up for? Wait a second here. Like far exceeded my expectations. I'm usually extremely skeptical. So I don't know how I even signed up in the first place, but whatever it was. Um, so it's just amazing how like the transformation that I've seen and even the drinking part is just kind of the super, it's, 
it was the Achilles heel, but it's kind of just the superficial problem. And it's like, once I kind of clear that up, there's so much more possibility. And, and you know, the exploration discussions with Gary, with Candace have just been so powerful and kind of, they both kind of focus on a different area. And then with Glenn kind of looking at my data and with my co cohorts or classmates or, you know, it's just been just, everything has just been so powerful and kind of supportive of, you know, completing the whole picture of how I do this. Um, so just really grateful and, and uh, yeah. And, and, and also just feel more grateful and not only just for all of you, but just, just in life in general, it's just a little bit more clarity and peace and calm and, and, and so forth. So I, am incredibly grateful for this entire program everybody on this call and everything that we were able to experience um i think that it delivered more than i expected honestly i i like i've said before i've done a couple of like challenges and different things and i think that this beyond um examining my relationship with alcohol and making i think pretty good strides in in um staying alcohol free. Um, I think it taught me a ton about myself and how to like examine my habits and my thoughts and those kind of, um, patterns and ways to, ways to approach the things that worried me the most in this, in this experience, um, have just been invaluable. I think I'm leaving feeling, um, in stronger in general, more self-aware in general, and um, just really more anchored in who I want to be and what my values are and how I can, you know, take better steps to achieve those. So it's been fantastic for me. And again, the, our team, I, I really um, appreciate all the feedback and support from every single person on this call, but my cohort as well. It's been great. So I love everybody that I've met here. I have loved the program. I am not uh, an emotional person like this, but this has changed my life. It, it has given me a life. Um, and there's other things I need to do too, um, but I don't have to do alcohol anymore. So thank you. It's been an amazing journey and a very, I appreciate the professionalism. Whenever I feel the stress, I, there's, there's something that I can go back to, to everybody and the sharing from everybody and the professionalism of the program. So I loved it. And I've grown a lot. So and kisses. One word is transformational. That's a word that's been bandied about for decades. But in this, it is absolutely accurate. If I was to use one word, this was a great investment. It's not it's not self-help, it's self-realization. It's um, super powerful, but it, it exceeded my expectations. Or maybe it was Sharon who said that, um, uh, or maybe I'm exceeding my expectations. And I like that. I mean, the program has been hugely, I'm hugely grateful for the program. I think the journey of, for myself has been amazing. I mean, I remember telling, I don't know if it was Candace or Gary, the first three or four weeks of the program, I was like, I can't stop thinking about not drinking. It's just, it's in my head. I'm every day I'm thinking about not drinking. And it's, it's like now I'm not even thinking about it. You know, it's just like my life has sort of 
stepped on. I'm excited about the future. Um, things are looking good. Things are looking good. I just love sharing the things people are saying about our complete control program. Okay, let's get back into the episode. Okay, so the next core driver is stress. It's such a core driver of compulsive behavior. The thing about stress is we're not going to be able to eliminate stress from your life. We're not, we're not going to ask you to go and spend the rest of your life meditating in a cave like the llamas. That's not realistic. We live in an incredibly stressful environment. We live in an incredibly stressful society. So we have to find ways to mitigate that stress. Um, in our complete control program, we use a device to help people understand their stress so they can see on their central nervous system what minute by minute what's going on are you in fight or flight or recovery now you can see some of this stuff in some of the wearables we also use an aura ring and things like that to help people understand but what you have to understand is some really simple math a stressed out central nervous system that does not get any recovery will always require numbing at the end of the day and if the numbing is not alcohol and you manage to use willpower or something else like that to abstain from alcohol, it will be something else. You'll be reaching for the cake, the Netflix, um, to switch off at the end of the day, something else. So understanding that we have to go in search of calm. I know in all the programs I rabbit on forever about meditation because it is so key. But if you think about during your day, and I talk about a perfect example, imagine for a second you have a very busy meeting which you come out of. Um, and for instance, maybe you had a couple of glasses of wine last night. So already, those will significantly impact your central nervous system the next day. You won't get the deep sleep because of the amount of, uh, even a small amount of alcohol disrupts deep sleep. So whether you realize it or not, you wake up a bit more tired, you wake up a bit more sluggish. And so the central nervous system is already working hard. We show people that really, when you drink alcohol, it's like giving yourself the flu. Right? Your body is fighting hard to process this poison to get this out of your system as quickly as possible because it's completely caustic. It is a poison to the body and central nervous system. So that's very powerful. Re recognizing that, you come into this meeting a little bit tired from having a couple of drinks last night and think, you know what, I'm going to go and have a coffee. Coffee is another really compounding tool to your central nervous system, pushing out that ability for you to get recovery. So again, you spend the afternoon not getting any recovery in the day and the foregone conclusion is there. There you are at the end of the day feeling like you need to take the edge off again. There you are at the end of the day feeling, oh God, I just need a, I need a drink, I need to unwind, I need to watch Netflix. So we have to let go in search of mitigating that. And I think that's where some really good tools come in place like meditation, breath work, things like NSDR protocols, again, which we teach us, um, Professor Andrew Huberman, wonderful podcast to listen to and show you some simple breathing techniques which have been scientifically proven to be the fastest way to bring your central nervous system back into parasympathetic. And that's what we have to do. We have to find ways as often as we can to get ourselves back into parasympathetic. So stress, a major causer of compulsive behavior, but not just about understanding your stress or how stressed you are. You're going to go through life some period where stress is, Understanding more that of these 12 factors, if all of them are in a bad state, you're going to really struggle. You're going to want to drink and drink often. If sometimes stress is really out of factor, then let's make sure the others are in balance. Let's make sure we've got the work done in other areas.
because we know we go through these stress situation. And then most importantly, let's make sure that we've got the tools to deal with stress. Let's make sure that we're creating those good habits to handle it. So relationships. I'm sure this goes without saying, but let's talk about your closest three to five, depending on how big your family is more, but the closest relationships, the people you're closest to. If those relationships are bent out of shape or broken, then you will always desire numbing. Understanding that relationships is a core driver, then we need to do the work in order to mitigate that. Now, you know, some people come onto the program or some people come and, you know, relationships sometimes break down and there's not much you can do about that. Yes, what you can do is change your perception and how you feel and create yourself more boundaries around it so it's less of a driver at the time. And I think that's usually where people need support. Relationships is really key. So getting into a place where these relationships are mitigated or at least relationships are more harmonious is going to set you up to be in that place where the desire for compulsive behavior is less. Um, There's so much to do here. You know, when I ask people sometimes the basics, like, um, what's your partner's love language? And they're like, what are you talking about? It just tells me one thing. I'm like, it, it, it means that you haven't even started reading the beginner books. You know, if I was to say to somebody, think and grow rich, is it a good book? Or um, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Majority of people would go, yeah, you know, certainly business leaders, execs, people like that. Mostly would go, oh, yeah, good books, good books. Because they understand the concept of in order to be successful in work or build a business or be successful, I, I have to study this stuff and understand. Well, why don't you do that in your marriage? Like, why don't you do that in your relationship? Why are you not investing in the business of your closest relationships? And I think one of the foundational books, like even if you Googled, A, I'm trying to understand my marriage better, that Gary Kelman love language, be right at the top. These are the things that I encourage you to do. By the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about with the love language, um, go to love language and fill it out. There's a wonderful survey. He's done a great job of the quiz now. Find out what your love language is. Find out what your partner's love language is. Start talking to your partner in their love language and watch massive change happen. So often people come in and they say, Ruri, this is great. I love all this stuff. It's so good. But you're talking about all of these things and they're way up here. I'm nowhere near that. I'm I'm down here where my relationship's in the shit and I'm drinking too much. And what I say every time is, look, change doesn't come like, oh, I'm at the bottom of Everest and I need to get up to the top and we have this massive, great big journey to come. It's, it's, it's actually much more simple than that. Because when you start applying right, some simple tools and techniques, some simple things, it's actually transformational for it. The perfect example is a relationship, right? Where normally it's a communication breakdown and the communication is broken down now. So now all you are in is just fighting over crap. Every time you say something, I'm going to argue. Every time you say something, it's got so petty and absolute bullshit. But when you crumble away from all the crap, inside there's just somebody hurting and another person hurting and they're both not getting something what they need and they're not communicating properly to each other. And that when you get the communication going and you're like, well, I still love you and I still love you and we both want a future together and we know what that is, harmony goes. And then instead of it being like, oh my God, I'm slogging up the hill to Everest, it's actually like, hey, let's walk together on this wonderful journey of transformation because we've now started to figure some of this out. So that's how change and transformation happens. It's, it's, it feels like it's got so far to go and that's what keeps us stuck. 
but actually with the right tools and the right techniques, it's a much faster change. Okay, hopefully that was helpful. Connection. Connection is such a big one because this is like our connection to society around us. And this is how we interact with the wider group, our community, the people around us. The thing about drinking is it's so ingrained in society that so much of it now is linked subconsciously to your identity, your belief about yourself. We've spent decades becoming a certain type of drinker, becoming a certain brand, right? And, and you're like, oh, well, I'm this, I'm that. And people say I'm this, a whiskey drinker a vodka drinker, a fast drinker, a short drinker, a party guy, a non-party guy, you know, sit out drinking all wine all evening person, whatever it is. Um, and so society has these expectations about us. And then when we try to change our relationship with alcohol, what we do is go, do you know what, guys, I've had enough of the way you're behaving. I'm going to go over here and be different like this. Well, <laughs> our innate, very tribal way of being says that when we left the tribe, we died. We got eaten by that saber-toothed tiger. So everything about you is, is saying, well, hang on a minute, I'm trying to stop drinking, which is boring, dull, you know, I, I, it's, it's a challenge, I don't like it, and it's nothing like my whole tribe over here, and I'm trying to be somebody weird, and they're saying, what's wrong with you? Come back, have a drink, you know, don't leave the tribe, it's unsafe over there. And we become more disconnected. And so many people are out there trying to do this, and then they're like, well, unless you're a sociopath, you can't be disconnected. So what happens is we find the only way we have a sense of connection to ourselves and to others and society around us is to return back to the fold. And this is where we feel connected. Okay, I'm back with the tribe again. I feel good. I'm drinking again. But it's not really what you want. So this is why it's so key. It's so critical for you to build connections who are living how you want to live. And, and you know, we do wonderful resources to help people with this, like the Facebook group, like the Slack community, so you can feel a sense of connection. But there's only so much connection you feel on reading messages on a Facebook group. The next level of connection for people is, you know, hey, face-to-face, -face, talking on video, talking in people. You know, we run a group coaching program, we'll talk about that later, where you can at least get on and chat to other members and feel a deeper sense of connection. The connection aspect goes up hundreds of times when you're sitting talking with people on a, on a Zoom call. And then if you can get together in real person, like meet some people like you who are trying to live like you locally and things like that, that is very powerful. It's like building your community that's living differently. Some of the things in here, so as an example, Jen and I love the CrossFit crew we have out here. And we went out recently for a bowling night for the CrossFit crew. And because they're all so health conscious, it was still an evening job, but not a single person was drinking alcohol. And it was great because we were socializing, we're having fun, we're bowling, there's lots of laughter, but nobody really wants to drink alcohol. And so it's easy for us, that sense of belonging, we're fully included, we're not discluded, we're totally connected, and yet alcohol's just not a part of it. And I know it might feel like, well, God, I, don't, I just don't have anything like that around here, but I think go in search of the hobbies. Go in search of the people who are looking for dopamine in a healthy way. Also, that's going to be healthy for you, right? You know, is it climbing on a Friday night? Is it some kind of club, mountain biking in the morning on Saturdays where you're feeling this connection with people, but there isn't, it isn't centralized around alcohol? Go in search of that. It's such a big element of what drives our behavior. Sleep. Sleep is pulled out of one of the key habits because 
this is just foundational. So many people I speak to say, oh, you know, I, I ask and they say, well, I'm regularly drinking. So I drink every night and it helps me get to sleep. Lots of people say that. And then lots of people say, well, I've got no problem with my sleep, even though I'm regularly drinking or I'm drinking in the evening. I just want to say, I'm really sorry. It's actually impossible because alcohol stops you from getting deep sleep. And so you may feel like your eyes are closed. You may feel like you've slept well, but you're not getting deep sleep. Now, all of the science is showing us that the neuroplasticity, the majority of neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to regrow, develop new ideas, build new habits, create new concepts, change itself, happens during deep sleep. So if you want to change your behavior, you need deep sleep. Um, it's really key for that part of changing your brain, of changing these constructs in your head. So sleep is really important. Also, there is a reason why they use sleep as torture, literally sleep deprivation as torture, because we just can't function. You'll die if you don't get sleep. Everyone needs good sleep. Most people who are regularly drinking alcohol, they don't know what good sleep is. And people often say, I've never had good sleep, or I only sleep four hours and 24 and things like that. A lot of this is tied up into a spaghetti mess because things like ADHD and things like that, and that hyperactivity stops people from getting sleep. I know that was me. And in fact, a lot of the science is showing us that ADHD or predominantly a lot of ADHD is actually developed by lack of good sleep routine in babies. And, and more importantly, they now show very common similarities between ADHD or severe ADHD and just somebody who is very sleep deprived. The similar types of behaviors. So this one is a big one. And if sleep is one for you and you're like, okay, my sleep is shit. It always has been. You just need to go all in on sleep. Read the books. How many books on sleep have you read? Listen to the podcasts about sleep. What are you doing about your bed? I'm serious. Invest in your bed. Why do you spend 10 times more money on a car than you do on a bed? You spend most of your time in a bed. Think about 10 million Egyptian thread count cotton. Our bed is phenomenal. We invested heavily in our bed, making sure that we sleep so well. It is to die for. And in fact, if you ever come around to my house, our guest room is like that too. It's just an amazing bed. And people go, God, I slept so good. I'm like, yeah, that's what you get when you invest properly in a bed. And now there's some great tools as well to help cool down the room removing the the devices from your room, finding more calm during the day so that your central nervous system isn't stressed out, etc. If sleep is bent out for you, go deep into sleep. That is my, my, my core thing for me here. Make it a focus. Okay, mental health. This is a coexisting thing, right? Drinking alcohol regularly or, or problems in the other areas can make you feel like you have poor mental health. So many people are saying, I have depression or I have anxiety. Well, those are two outcomes of drinking alcohol. They're, they're the source and they're the outcome. So we have to start to unwind these things. What does somebody's mental health look like when they change their diet, when they start exercising properly, when they're sleeping well, meditating properly, eating the right kinds of food, you know, these other things in line, how much of that issue or those things that they had that they were coming to the doctor about mental, poor mental health evaporate or disappear? So this is all going down the functional medicine side of things, where traditionally you'd go in and you'd say to a doctor, I'm depressed, and he'd go, here's a pill. Well, by the way, a pill that doesn't work, right? No antidepressant has ever beaten a placebo in studies. That's true. Antidepressants have not beaten a placebo. So, 
understanding your mental health, but understanding that poor mental health is both a cause and an effect on both sides. And if you figure out some of the other stuff first, then ask yourself the question all the way along this is what is my mental health like? How am I feeling like when I'm doing the habits and the routines and I've got the other things aligned? Okay. Environment. So environment is about where you spend your time, how you're operating in work, the people who you're around, slightly different from how the, the sense of connection, because that's really your, your community who you're with. And this is just the environment you're in. Um, and of course, you know, there's lots of us who live in very, very busy cities. I was commuting by tube um, into a windowless office every day, and I didn't realize how sick that was making me. I didn't realize that the way to switch that up was to Brompton via the park. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much, Hyde Park. Um, and then, you know, change the scenery into the office, get walk out during the day, again, get into greenery, changing that environment. Because if I didn't, I could feel this sense of rot, if you like, which would then drive compulsive behavior. So our environment is key. Ultimately, what did that lean to me, right? I now live in Mallorca. I live 300 meters away from the beach. It is an amazing environment. That That is what helps me stay calmer and stay healthier and stay true and congruent to the things that I'm teaching others. We can't all move to the beach. I get it. So that relates back to cycling through the park <laughs> and getting out to the park as often as possible. Environment is important. Oh, and by the way, when I discovered this environment piece, I also said, you know, I'm living in Buckinghamshire, we're landlocked. And so I was like, Jen, I realized that almost every weekend I can, we have to go to the sea. Through meditation, I felt the sea. It was like yearning to me. And I was like, I was born on an island. I'm nowhere near the sea and I never see the sea. So that was an issue in my environment. And when I, when we started getting down off to there, I could feel it calming down. So environment, such a big driver. Meaning and purpose. This is a big one because so many of us are climbing the wrong tree. I was climbing the wrong tree. I was dead set on being the world's top oil broker. I was dead set on being the number one and trying to be absolutely everybody. And that what I really discovered was, that's not at all me. It's not what I want to be. It's not what I was put on the planet for. I want to help people. I want to change the world. I want to make a massive impact on the world. When I discovered that this was the wrong tree for me, that's when I had to make the jump. Now, there's lots and lots and lots of people I speak to who are in jobs where they've created a huge amount of success for themselves. And it's not about all everyone suddenly jumping out of corporate worlds and things like that. If you can, great. If you found that this is the wrong thing, fantastic. But I, I'll tell you one example of a guy who'd been extremely successful in the bank, a, a very large bank. And he realized, he said, you know, I'm not going to change this part, but I've realized that what is most important to me is that I help other people. And so he actually proposed inside to create a training environment for him to take young people through and for him to do more coaching. And then we spoke to him afterwards and he was like, I just feel so connected to who I am now because I know that I'm helping people and I know that I'm giving something back. So you don't have to just suddenly change the job. It's about tweaking things so that you're aligned to this meaning and purpose. A very high proportion of highly empathic people, right, turn to compulsive behavior. And this is because emotions, we're not taught how to deal with them. No one teaches us how to properly how to process our emotions. If you grew up in my age group or above, absolutely not. What? Emotions? Pack them down. Let's not talk about that, right? So we've been preconditioned with our emotions. But if you're highly empathic, 
then that packing down will always drive compulsive behavior. And this is why a very high proportion of highly emotional people end up turning to addiction, compulsive behavior, drinking too much, drugs. But guess what that means? And this is what's super awesome, is that when you help those people and you help them remove that behavior like alcohol and in one year no beer, guess what you end up with? You end up with a community of really empathic people who care and want to support other people. And this is why so often, like the vast majority of what people are missing when it comes to meaning and purpose is them helping others. And we can get so much from that. Look at the groups, look at the community and how much people spend their time supporting others. Go into that. This is something really big for you here. Keep helping other people. Hopefully that was helpful. Okay, habits. I put the life raft here because that's what they're like. Good habits, right? We talked some sleep, exercise, meditation, breath work, things like that. Cold showers, if you want to add them in. Gratitude, journaling, there's lots of them. So those good habits are like your life raft, okay? They'll, they'll give you the emergency exit. They'll give you the, the, the escape route in an emergency. So imagine an emergency, right? A loved one dies suddenly. Grief, one of the most powerful drivers of wanting to have a drink, right? Compulsive behavior. Grief is such a powerful emotion. And so if you don't have good habits, you re the life raft, the chance of you surviving it is much, much, much less. But if you do have your good habits and your habits are intact, then you've got this life raft, this chance of survival. Of course, a life raft doesn't guarantee that, right? And if the other factors are too great and all of those things and you haven't really done all the work, you know, the life raft is still not going to save you. But good habits is really the life raft for preventing that compulsive behavior. Next, emotional regulation. We touched on that with grief, understanding your emotions, processing your emotions, crying your eyeballs out when you need to being able to converse about you, describing your emotions, tools like a wonderful, wonderful tool in CBT called focusing, which actually makes you create the image and the shape and the feeling of an emotion. And by doing that, you understand and are able to process it through your body greater. So this is something really powerful. I think I'm almost every single presentation and things like that, I have to mention this, but I'm going to name drop it again. When I met the Dalai Lama, which is a great phrase, but when I met the Dalai Lama, what I got to understand is one of his greatest agendas, one of the big things that he pushes out into the world is that if we can teach our children to understand their emotions, then this is how we change society. Such a simple factor. And guess what? Kids don't do as we say. They do as we do. So it's up to you. It's up to you to lead by example, to go digging in there, understand these emotions, process them, communicate them, talk about them with your kids. That is how we will create massive change. Self-esteem goes without saying, but this comes into all sorts of factors with your self-esteem, your belief about yourself. Remember we talked about those beliefs? We've got to get those beliefs to be strongly aligned to who you want to be and remove those patterns and those phrases and all of those things that you say to yourself that are holding you back. Self-esteem, self-worth. This is one of those self-fulfilling cycles, right? And it's a wonderful one because when you start to create change in your life, when you start to add in self-discipline and you start to change some of these things, there's a feedback loop, okay? Imagine this for a second. You're overweight, you go to the gym, you work out, and then people notice it and somebody says it. What does that do? It creates that feedback loop of self-worth, right? And you're like, huh, well, I was feeling it and I was feeling good, but now I'm hearing it from other people. That's also making me feel good and now I want to do it more, right? 
So the way to build this self-esteem is actually through the discipline of taking the action. And therefore, you get that feedback loop of self-worth, self-esteem, build, 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 build. It's like a power generator. You know, when you start the momentum going and it goes and it goes and it will carry you through. So such a powerful one. Okay. And that brings me on to the final one of finding calm. I think this is a great phrase for everyone. It's just to in search of more calm, calm during your day, find more calm as a person, find a way to calm down that central nervous system, find a better way to release the pressure by finding calm inside yourself. And this allows you to regulate your own central nervous system rather than needing substances and pills and alcohol and things like that. If I look back at my journey, it all really started with finding calm. I started with meditation whilst, you know, oil broking, stuffed in it, drinking, all of that stuff going crazy. And that meditation really led to that building a gap between stimulus and response. Hmm, what's going on here? Hmm, I, may, I think I may be drinking a bit too much. And that led to the rest of the journey, the creation of one year no beer, and now the creation of complete control and the impact that we're having in the world. So go in search of calm. It'll help you immensely. This is what we want to break. We want to be done with this, the cycle of addiction, blame, shame, guilt, trying to stop, white-knuckling it, getting to that place of feeling good, slip up again, drink too much, blame, shame, guilt. Do not go in search of willpower. It's not what you need. Instead, find more of these tools, whether that's with us or with somebody else, however you go and find these tools, find them and apply them into your life. How can I get more accountability? How can I find some more support? Where can I learn more about what I'm trying to change? And how do I get connected to people who are doing that journey? These are the tools you need more of. So if you do that with one year no beer, well, we have three options. Challenge Plus, um, which is on top of the normal challenge we do, is a group coaching program. This is a program for everyone. It's less than the cost of a night out, £48.50 a month, so really less than the cost of a night out. One-to-one -one coaching, which we do um, and uh, support, obviously more accountability. And then the most amazing program, which has been fantastic since we launched it and what we're celebrating today is Complete Control. If you want any more information on any of those, please just reach out and um, hopefully some of this was helpful. Well, Thank you very much for um, joining me, for still staying on. And um, I hope that was helpful. I hope that was insightful and just keep going. It's such a positive journey. Stay positive. That's one thing I forgot to mention is Professor B. J. Fogg at Stanford University, you know, world leader in behavior design, behavior change. He says we change behavior by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And those blame, shame, guilt, struggle, I'm no good at this, I'm rubbish. That is what's keeping you stuck. The most important thing is to create this version of yourself where you are powerful. You can change the situation. You just need a bit of support. You need a bit of help. You need a bit of direction. You need a bit of goal setting. And that's going to enable you to make the changes you need in your life. Okay. You're just all awesome for even being on this journey. So massive respect to you for that. All right. See you soon.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.